the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. Uh, so we're doing a movie today, The Legend of Billie Jean, and this was one a while back. We had been thinking about doing this one, and so yeah. we posted on Instagram because uh, we, me and you both had talked to multiple people, and and they didn't know what movie we were talking about. So yeah, we took it to the Instagram and got a lot of responses of people who really loved this movie, like we did. So um, not that that has to be a dis- decisive factor in whether or not we do a movie for the podcast but I, it was like i wanted i wanted to know that there was enough people out there that would know the movie worthy of like doing an episode on it yeah to me this movie was i mean i've i feel like i've seen this movie a billion times and i've known about it my whole life and the day that i asked maybe i think it was like 13 people in just a couple minutes and literally none of them had ever seen it or been not even a yeah i think i've heard of that just like nope no idea what you're talking about the michael jackson song yeah <laughs> so, I, so so to me it was like I, I don't know i feel like this might be one that's like really catering to a very small demographic of people that are familiar yeah. with this movie but i also think it's great in the way to do this movie because i think this is one that holds up nice and i think it's worthy of people checking this out that haven't seen it i think you'd have a you're gonna have a lot of fun with this one if you've never heard of it or never seen it it's still, yeah, I, I think like you said, it still holds up and it is in a world where there's a lot of injustice and, and probably even a lot more maybe since this movie was made, it feels, it feels pretty empowering to watch it now. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I think one, this is, uh, main reason to do this is I think this is like a, a highly original movie. Yeah. Um, I don't, especially for the 80s. I don't think that there were a lot of movies that came out that were like this. And it does have, there's a lot of 80s-ness to this. There's no, but it's, you know, I love that about it too. But on its own accord, it's, it's, it's got a lot going for its original story. I definitely almost would say that Thelma and Louise borrowed heavily from The Legend of Billie Jean. I hadn't thought of that until you mentioned it the other day. There's multiple things. I'll talk about that later. Um, But uh, what are we going to talk about with The Legend of Billie Jean? So this came out in 1985. So we've got. We are. We're going to talk about how it is very has a very eighties mid eighties yeah. vibe going on. Uh, a lot of eighties uh, ness. The cast, uh, kind of where they some of them where they started, where they went from, you know, from Billy Jean. Yeah, because we've got Christian Slater, who I'm sure a lot of people are familiar. He had a pretty and good it was career. Just beginning of his career yeah. was this movie. And, and Helen Slater, uh, we'll talk about her because mm-hmm. she kind of start you know really started young with some pretty huge mm-hmm. uh, roles as like the star and then just never really clicked with Hollywood, I think, or never really got the she's credit. St- she's still around, but yeah, not Yeah, in, but yeah, never really yeah. was able to break through yeah. like d- just the movies that yeah. she was a star of like weren't kind of weren't hits. And if you don't know, we'll, we'll go into it later, but there's a Simpsons connection that maybe you know. But yeah. we'll we'll get there. So along with the eightiesness, the cast, we're going to talk about uh, themes in the movie. There's a lot of them, a lot of isms 
to discuss. Yeah. Let's see. It's kind of some some triggering things in this movie, but I think it's done in a way that it's not too. It, it's not going to be off putting in any way. Yeah. So we're also have our picks of the week. I went for a very similar themed uh, rebellious teen rebellious movie with a connection also via Christian Slater mm-hmm. in the starring role for Pump Up the Volume, which uh, I really enjoy. It's uh, been a second know. since I've seen that one. Um, so I went with uh, Pump Up the Volume. What was your pick of the week? Um, mine was a uh, teen comedy that came out the same year and also involved a girl um, cutting her hair real short, but for a different reason. This little gem is called Just One of the Guys. I really enjoy this movie, and I, I've actually seen this one fairly recent. <laughs> yeah, um, don't you? You have it, right? I do have. I it. think you. Yeah, you totally do. Uh, yeah, right up there. Right there, in between just friends and California. If you're wondering <laughs> how I, I do alphabetize my movies, well, the, duh, you have to. Yeah, mine are out of order right now. The thing, um, went with just one of the guys and. You know, totally different uh, feeling than than Billie Jean, also from Pump Up the Volume. But somehow we make these movies connect. Yeah. I think same year it qualifies. Yeah. And teen genre. Yeah. And Christian short, Slater. Ha- short hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, as always, our Murray moment. Uh, so we'll, uh, before we get moving, we'll get a clip here going soon. But uh, before we go into a clip, as always, can you... Tell us what is what is the legend of Billie Jean about? What is this legend that they're talking about that is Billie Jean? Um, all right, so Billie Jean becomes a legend after a Texas teenager, Billie Jean, tries to right the wrongs committed against her little brother. Um, she, her brother, and their two friends end up being um, outlaws around Corpus Christi and around Texas in general. Um, they kind of become media sensations and martyrs when they're all they're trying to do is uh, get the money that they are owed for his stolen scooter, stolen and destroyed scooter, and um, get some payback for him being beaten up, and also Billy Jean being sexually assaulted too. There's there's a lot that happens in the um, in the beginning of this movie that sets all of this in motion and kind of turns into a misunderstood tale. Yeah, I think it's a it's a movie that has it's a relatively simple plot but it has it has a lot to say even mm-hmm. though it 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 teeters into sort of 80s ridiculousness. It it definitely has a lot to say. Um but we'll get into that. A lot um, of themes. Yeah, so we'll go to a clip and then we'll come back. We'll talk about the themes of Billie Jean. All right. I'm Billie Jean Davy, and I want to set the record straight. Oh, my God. Wow. I'm not a liar, I'm not a thief, and neither is my brother. Hello, Mom. Sorry, that is him. Mom, I don't know when we'll be coming home, but we love you. I know people are making up stories about us. Don't you believe them? As for you, Mr. Pyatt, you are so sleazy. You think that you can do anything you want and then lie about it and we just have to take it because what are we? Just a bunch of kids. Well, not this time. 
From now on, we're doing this our way. Lying, no cheating, fair is fair. $608 for the scooter your son trashed. That's what you owe, and we're not turning ourselves in till we get it. Fair is fair. We didn't start this, we didn't mean it to happen, but we're not giving up till you pay. Fair is fair! Starting off, a lot of themes and a lot of isms in The Legend of Billie Jean. Oh, yeah. Um, Things that I don't necessarily think I would expect from kind of like an 80s movie that does have a lot of cheesiness to it. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, does have a lot to say. So we've got classism, sexism, feminism. You know, it has like a feminist voice, I believe. Would you say? Oh yeah, um, easily. And then definitely a lot of themes of, you know, ethics and injustice, injustice, right and wrong. Um, it's not really like like a ism or a theme, but the whole idea of media sensationalism. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot a lot of this was like ahead of its time, you mm-hmm. know, and I think there's a lot of things that child you could, abuse and sexual assault. Yeah, like, I think yeah, I mean things that are huge right now yeah. that I mean can have always been in the media, but things that are like universally people are coming around to like let's address these issues. Yeah. But this movie, I don't think there was a lot of movies that were really going over these themes and putting these subjects like up close and personal. And this, it's it, and this is a lot too that like yeah. we just we just threw a lot out there and like when thinking about that big bundle of really intense subject matter you can go, "Ooh, it's a heavy movie." But it, it's not like these these issues are really like explored heavily i i'd say like classism and and sexism and like the idea yeah. of like a, a feminist icon is like the biggest thing yeah, to emerge I, from these and things. i and i can i can kind of see why because this movie was kind of like critically panned and did really poorly at the box office and i can see at the time where maybe there was like this idea that this movie is just like I, I personally, I don't think it's heavy handed, you know what I mean? But it does tackle a lot of issues, but it's all wrapped up in this sort of fantastical movie world where like all these things are very convenient and can, can happen very easily. And, you know, in like a movie universe, but you're also trying to deal with these real life issues that people face. Um, like, like you said, like child abuse, uh, yeah. sexual assault. It doesn't make those a centerpiece. It addresses these issues, but at the same time, functions is like a fun 80s teen rebellion movie is it time we dive into some themes yeah i think like just starting off like what makes this movie so original and unfortunately what makes it so original i think is that you have your lead character being female and not just a but also like a teen movie where the female is not only the lead character but also like the toughest character the one that everybody looks up to the one that hence becomes the legend and i think that was something that 1985 i think like very groundbreaking to have like a a lead female character is like not only the central character but like i said like the the dominant strong character Mm -hmm. that, that that protects her younger brother that protects the other characters in the movie she's very much uh like a a mothering character like she cares about her friend she cares about her brother and another thing that's cool about billy jean as a character is that she has a minor love interest but not really that significant and she's very much a solitary independent figure and she's going through all of these you know same experiences with her friends but kind of um on a different 
level in some ways, like taking it a lot more personally. And I mean, she has been sexually assaulted earlier in in the film. That probably plays into it. But her character in general is just so dang strong. And yeah, for 85. Yeah. And at the end too, like, like her lover interest is a guy who helps out but he doesn't like save the day. Like it's, yeah. it's very evident. Like in, he doesn't have the idea that she should make that video. She's set, she sees that he has a video camera and though he helps her out, it's her idea to make a video and yeah. to like do the video that essentially like is what gets her, gets her claim, yeah. gets her fame around Corpus Christi and like through the news outlets. And also too, like later on, uh, you know, it's her plan that everybody follows. It's her like ideals, um, her speech that everybody looks to. And fair is fair. Yeah, fair is fair. And I and I do like that they give a reference. I mean, I love when movies reference movies. Mm-hmm. And this one, I do love that there is the Joan of Arc reference where she gets the idea to cut her hair short, and this idea of like really going with your ethics and your standing up, standing for- up for what you think is right, even if it means. Even if what you're standing up for is smaller than what the possible consequence could be for standing up for something, that, in essence, I love that they come back to that and that they use that as like a reference point versus, you know, having some conversation or them going into something like yeah. they use the movie to the movie references a movie. I always like that. I think it's fun. I like that they come back to it. The idea of cutting your hair, like you said, comes from Joan of Arc, and in '85, I think like cutting your hair wasn't necessarily it's not like girls didn't have short hair or anything but it wasn't the most popular thing to do and she doesn't there's nothing that Billie Jean does in this movie that relies on her being a pretty girl or like her cutting her hair is an act of rebellion and everything that she's doing is kind of an is an act of rebellion and trying to right the injustices that she keeps coming across yeah, and I think, and also, like, yeah, historically, and I think it's, like, having long blonde hair is, like, been the... Especially when you're you a beach know, babe. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, like, that's, like, been the, 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 like, general consensus of, like, what is, like, the perfect, you know, yeah. beautiful, like, long blonde hair. And so, yeah, I think, especially in the 80s, that even though people had short hair, like, they were cutting away, like, what what was like the mainstream, what was like considered the most beautiful. It's like bit after bit, like little things like that, where I think this movie stands out. It's, it's trying to, again, like I said, function is a fun coming of age story, but like sending little messages, like having little uh, points and themes and ethics that, that drive the story um, in a good way that doesn't seem forced, but also like, you know digs a little bit deeper it's just not like a throwaway teen 80s flick not at all i think you could um you could infer that billy jean goes through some type of transformation and like who she is as a person but we see from the get-go that she is a strong maybe a tiny bit naive like thinking the best of people like she thinks that she has a chance in reclaiming or in getting money for the scooter that this you know jerky surfer guy destroyed and she thinks she can get it from his dad but what happens like she doesn't get the money and he tries to rape her in the attic of the store where where she tries to make this happen so there is a little bit of 
you know, her being naive in the beginning, but she's the same character all throughout the movie. She becomes just a little bit more hardened, I would say. I, I think I, I like that they, you know, like classism is 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 a very strong in this movie. Like they yeah. live in a trailer park. Um, it's she gets very, called trash. Yeah, it's yeah. very evident in the beginning that like people who have money, like kind of look down on this section of Corpus Christi. The people live in a trailer. There's definitely like multiple references to like, well, rich people do this and rich people do that, mm-hmm. and they eventually meet a rich kid and like see what his life is like and. I think it's a movie that shows like both perspectives of like, you know, class and, and that's something I think that a lot of eighties movies did, you know, there's, you know, cause it is something Definitely. that I think you as a teenager going to school, classism is something that like you are going to experience really quickly. Like if you don't, you know I mean? Like go to school and you can't afford the nice, what's popular. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it, you get, singled out pretty quickly this is a movie i think that really was again tackled an issue but didn't make it like all about the the movies all about that you know it was able to address it in the beginning kind of show where the characters are from where they come from but show that they have their own personal feelings and it's just such a good balance and i do think too like even though some of the accents are a little rough in this movie um, it's never, they don't ever go into like what I would say, like hillbilly exploitive territory. No, I mean, Helen Slater, who was Billie Jean, I think she's definitely even said that she could have done an, a little bit better of a, of a Southern accent, but it works, whatever. Yeah, it, it, works. it works. Yeah. One of my favorite, um, like I said, not, not themes, not an ism, but is the idea of, media sensationalism that happens throughout this movie and yes Billie Jean uses this to her advantage nowadays we're used to a giant media explosion of of whatever like the hottest new thing is and it's all over social media no one has landlines but like you get texts from people just like whatever the the big story is at the time this is we were kind of talking about this earlier this word of mouth basically you see on the news, you hear on the radio, who is Billie Jean? She held up this store, you know, tried to kill this guy, did this and this, and, and because and becomes this legend, hence legend of Billie Jean, she does um, take advantage of this and, you know, goes to the media and in essence says her story, says what happened, this is what needs to happen, and this is... Uh, this is why I'm standing up for it. What you're what you're hearing about me and the media is wrong. This is all that it's about. And we're not going to back down until this has all been set right. And then we see, too, um, how this goes into putting Billie Jean on T-shirts, making posters, selling her image. And at the end of the film, the whole she's almost disgusted by what what her image or or that her image has been profited on by the guy who victimized her and the family that tore up the scooter with this movie like a lot of people they're they're viewed as outlaws and like mm-hmm. i think this is a movie where the lead character like stands up and says no we're clearing our name this isn't how it happened and before the story gets out and like everybody thinks we're one thing and we're not 
and I think the same thing it talks about with like sexual assault, like it addresses the issue of victim shaming and like believing what's yeah. true, you know, that, you know, they don't get deep into it, but it is addressed and she does confront her attacker. I think the the sexual assault aspect of this movie, it's really like predominantly the whole movie is about getting the six hundred and eight dollars for the repairs on on the scooter. And like that's what their whole statement is on. That's what that's what their mission is. Um, and it isn't until the last the final scene where she confronts uh, she confronts the dad of the kid that wrecked the scooter and sexually assaulted her, does it in public. And it's very validating because you spend the whole movie like knowing that that happened and she really never talks about it. I remember when I was younger, not thinking about, it, but the first few times I watched this as an adult, it's just like, Oh, this is over. Like you said, $608 for scooter repairs. <laughs> when it comes down to it, it made me think of like jobs I've quit over seemingly something, you know, like where an, an employee or like an owner has told me you're really being silly about this. And like, you're making a big mistake and, I've quit several jobs where something to me seemed unethical or not right. Definitely a few times put myself in a situation where I was in no position to quit a job. (laughs) I mean, zero position to like quit Yeah, (laughs) and suffered greatly for like, you know, multiple months afterwards. But I look back on it and think like, man, I could have stayed there for 10 years and like continued to stifle those feelings and like, you know, say like, okay, well, this is acceptable to this is acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. And I think like part of me now would probably do that, like accept it, you know, cause I'm getting older, but like on <laughs> a younger, you know, it's just like, and that's why this movie sure. like has that youthful idealism of like, no man, we're standing up for this, you know, where everyone else is just like here, you know, we'll just give you the money. It's nothing, you know, they're even offering them. And so it's like, no, it's not about the money. It's about this person. It's about the principle. It's about yeah. the principle. And I think that's that point can be easily lost with this movie just because it, it does get kind of goofy and stuff. But like when I position this to real life and real feelings about how injustices can happen in each one that you let happen, each one that you don't stand up for basically becomes another thing that you get used to. And yeah. you're like, okay, well... I can't fight about this. And the older I get, it's more of like, oh, you know, you got to choose your battle kind of thing. And this is a movie that, are you willing to go to jail for this like $608 that you believe in? They that you, totally that you are. And they totally, totally are. are. They're totally like, we'll go to the end. We'll, we'll, we'll like die over this thing if that's what it means. And that's pretty hardcore. And that's why I think this is a very punk rebellious type it is. movie. It, it is. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lot edgier than... It's it, it comes off to be, I think. And even in that final confrontation scene between Billie Jean and the owner, uh, or the, Mr. Pyatt, who was the one that uh, sexually assaulted her and the dad of the kid that ruined the scooter, she's like yelling at him like, who paid? Who paid for the scooter? You know? And like, it's still important. And then what happens? He's like, all right, just take the money. Can we just like keep this a quiet thing? And then... She throws it back in his face. It's like, you didn't even pay for and I, it. And not only throws it back in his face, uh, <laughs> and something to be known, uh, like knees like at least like four dudes in, in oh, the yeah. nuts during, well, one guy, she knees twice in the nuts, but it's like her go-to move. She's just like, I'm not taking your money and I'm going to knee you in your nuts in front of all these people too. Uh-huh. 
Billy Jean's got a real good move. You don't yeah. you don't expect it from her, and yeah. then you get a knee to the groin. And I uh, I've been kicked in the balls a couple of times, and I got to tell you, it's it's, it's <laughs> sorry about that it's one. It's no walking apart. Yeah. You um, won the one five minutes ago when you kicked me in the balls. I told you to get me a glass of water, I and you said you. no. Yeah. I'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> Here's your water, Lindsay. Is that up to par? Oh, man. Uh, now, do you think all of the uh, ball kicks in Billie Jean, were they warranted? Uh, I think that they were warranted. Okay. I mean, you know, and this is one thing I'll say about this movie. We'll go to a clip very soon. But before we go to another clip, uh, I will say, because when we come back from the clip, we'll talk about how 80s this movie is. And it is sure. very 80s. But I will say the one thing... Ball kicking is also very 80s. Ball kicking is very 80s. But I will say the one thing in this movie... And I'm connecting it to like you asked if the ball kicking was warranted. Uh-huh. Um, the bros in this movie, yeah, you could pretty much have these guys, the bros in this movie, have them act exactly the same today. If you read this movie, oh, you'd yeah. have to change everything. This movie, media, communications, technology, yeah, clothing. This movie couldn't you, you, exist the you, way you it is. Couldn't exist the way it is. But you could not change anything about the bros in this movie, and they would totally function how they do today. Yeah. And that's really sad. The and, evolution but, of, of yeah. the high school male. And uh, so it's just like when I look at this movie, I'm, you know, I do think it's warranted. And it's just like I do think more bros should take a shot to the nuts. That's one of my favorite quotes from you, Justin. Yeah. More bros should take a few kicks to the nuts. I support that. I support yeah. that. And as someone who's taken a few shots to the nuts. It's a serious you, statement. I would think that, you know, I wouldn't ever want that to happen to somebody. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of bros out there that... You know, maybe it would turn them around. Uh, so we'll go to another clip from The Legend of Billie Jean, and then we'll come back, and we went kind of long on our first discussion, so we'll come back. There are lots of isms. There is a lot. There was a lot to cover, but we'll come back and very briefly discuss even, the 80s-ness. We didn't even talk about the child abuse aspect. There are, like, some child abuse there themes is, in this, too. Yeah. Well, we'll save child abuse for another <laughs> podcast. So, yeah, we'll go to a clip. Next clip. Come back, talk about the 80s-ness, talk briefly about the about the cast, and then we'll move on to our picks of the week. You pig. You don't even know what a pig you are. For my trouble, or to keep my mouth shut, or maybe for a few minutes in your room upstairs, how much is that worth to you, Mr. Pyatt? Tell us. Everyone's listening. Nobody forced you up there. You knew damn well what you were doing. What about our lessons? Pay as you go, earn as you learn. What were you going to teach me, Mr. Pyatt? You lying piece of trash. You said I was going to love it. Love being touched by a man like you. I'm sick and tired of your mouth, you little slut. It's over. We're finished. It's over. You're right, it's over with. I can learn to live with it. But I can't take all this. Here's your change.
can keep your money. Go buy somebody else. So, again, we'll make this section relatively brief, but, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned this several times already, but this is, there's some quintessential 80s movies, and I think this fits in that category. Like, it has just such an 80s to it, and it's style, and it's it's the way, mm-hmm. uh, the vibe it has, and, like, obviously the clothes, the music. It's, it's not in a, I don't think, I, I never look at it in a, it, it's a like a funny thing or like sometimes in John Waters movie not I'm sorry not John Waters John Hughes movies sometimes it's so 80s and that it's like kind of cheesy this one it just kind of seems like yep this movie was in 85 so that's how stuff looks it feels still very real and I think too because it's kind of set in like like Corpus Christi Texas um, they shot there in all real locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does have, I think, uh, like an original feel like a lot, like John Hughes is always like takes place in Chicago or like Illinois. This has yeah. like a very different feel than what we it's think laid of. Back. Like your, yeah, it's laid That's back. That's probably what it is. And also it has a, uh, I, I think just with the accents and then the, the clothes, like it's, it's a, it's a more of a beach beach town vibe oh yeah but still like distinctively 80s it's like surfer surfer vibe but not overly like it's not like we're going to the beach surfing really in any scenes and i don't think you could be more 80s than having a montage inside of a mall while playing like a billy idol's rebel yell yeah i have to say that's one of the the soundtrack of this movie rules the pat benatar invincible song is in, is sprinkled all throughout this movie and this is something i read about that pat benatar song and i this is i read this in an article and so i don't know mm-hmm. the accuracy of this i didn't go further to see if there was like a youtube clip of pat benatar actually saying this but that invincible song was like that she wrote specifically for this movie was one of was her biggest hit um, mm-hmm. And she had a couple of pretty big hits, yeah. but this was this song being her biggest hit, which Ali isn't a song that I know as well as her other really? songs that I would assume were bigger hits than this. Or it's like for those of you don't know, like "Love Is a Battlefield," "We Belong," "We Belong," "Shadows of the Night." Yeah, like "We Belong," like is way more ingrained in my brain than "Dude Invincible's great. Oh no, I think I I think the song is great, but and I've been jamming it <laughs> while we've been prepping for this podcast. Yeah. But I read that when this movie was hot and this song was hot, you know, mm-hmm. she was clearly playing it at her shows. Mm-hmm. And I read that she used to say before she played the song, uh, this is a song I wrote for like the worst movie ever made, which, you know, I don't know if that's true. Again, I didn't YouTube it to see if there's footage of her actually saying this at her show. And I want to know why Pat Benatar thinks that if that is true, because I don't agree at all. Anywhere near that part of me, thinks a lot of this is about a lot of movies when the movie bombs and is unsuccessful and is critically panned a lot of times that can influence people to be like oh this movie must suck and i think there's a lot of movies that that happen to you know we rediscover them and and think like oh no this is actually a great movie and movies now that are considered you know i think uh it's a wonderful life was considered a total bomb and a disaster terrible film and now it's like a holiday a, a, classic. A holiday classic. So getting off course here a little bit, but uh, real quickly talk about the cast. Um, this is one that has a couple of people in it that went on to 
have like really huge careers. First being Christian Slater, this was his first feature film. Kind of had like multiple plateaus in his career. Um, but in the 90s was like one of the biggest stars, I think, you know, and has had multiple oh, hit yeah. films, like multiple cult hit films like Heather's and like Pump Up the Volume, like I said. Yeah, Christian Slater's been around for a long time. And uh, Yearly Smith, who went on to become one of like the biggest voice actors in the world. With yeah. Doing the voice of Lisa Simpson, probably one of the richest <laughs> like yes. voice actors in the world. I would imagine. And this uh, was a good, I don't remember the exact, it, it was a good like three years, I think, before she got the Simpsons gig. Yeah. Something like that. So this is uh, this was a good piece before before that life-changing yeah. experience. I mean, she's pretty young in this. And, and Helen Slater, yeah. like, oh, like Christian Slater's like 15 in this, I think. Yearly Smith and Helen Slater both like 19 mm-hmm. in this film. And Helen Slater did Supergirl before this movie at 18. Right. And Supergirl was kind of a bomb and then this movie was a bomb. And she said it was it was a weird experience to doing two movies back to back where yeah. she's like this iconic figure that people look up to. And it was weird to kind of be in her shoes and being looked at like that yeah. in a weird way. It was She kind of tried to block it out because it was a little strange. Yeah, and after um, Billie Jean and Supergirl didn't really take off, she had just one more other sort of big co-starring role in a very underseen 80s movie called Sticky Fingers, but then pretty much was just played like secondary characters, like City Slickers, and uh, her role in Ruthless People, which was really much a 180 from the character she had played in Supergirl and Billie Jean. Same thing with uh, Secret of My Success. Yeah. she's That movie has so many... Fl- I might have even referenced that movie in a podcast before because the messages, the messages in it are terrible. But I think it's because I really appreciate Helen Slater that yeah. I tr- really try real hard to look past the character flaws in her character and just the flaws in that movie in general. Yeah. Her career kind of, this was like, started out strong. She still does a yeah, lot she of still TV does now. Strong. She's actually uh, is in the, the, Supergirl. the Supergirl yeah show, which I've, I've watched, uh, I think like five or six episodes. I'm not a big superhero fan, but I was into what I watched. You know, I thought it was entertaining. Good for Helen Slater though. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think she's she's still successful and does like the the convention circuit. Um, we should also mention to Peter Coyote, um, yeah. he was a very very prominent actor um, of the time in the eighties. And I I think he brings the levity to this movie. Yeah, and he also to me I think his character. Like I said this in the beginning what? that I feel like Thelma and Louise pulled from this movie. Mm. And I think the Peter Coyote character, if you're if you know Thelma and Louise. Like, watch this movie and watch Thelma and Louise and tell me that the Harvey Keitel character, beat for beat, isn't similar to how Peter Coyote's character treats the situation and treats... Um, he wants the kids to be safe and he believes in them the same way uh, Harvey Keitel believes in them. And Even though when everyone else is wanting to, like, take it more serious, he yeah. believes, like, they're not violent. You know, he defends the, the lead character and... I don't know. And, and and the thing is, is like Thumb and Lose was like a breakout movie. That was one that like sure. was really applauded for its originality and the fact that it had two female lead characters. And that's why like, in you know, it's 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 been said that like Billie Jean, Legend Billie Jean hasn't got its due. You know, it's been a second since I've seen Thelma and Louise. I think I would still go with the Legend of Billie Jean over that as a 
strong, independent female character. Because I think Billie Jean, it was only the strengthening of her already existing strong character of a person. And not to say that Thelma and Louise weren't like that. They they totally were. But there was a lot of like uh, kind of being manipulated by men a little bit. A movie like Thelma and Louise comes out of a movie These that beginnings. came out like six years later. You know, six years later, Thelma and Louise came out. This was a precursor to Thelma and Louise. I totally believe you. I hadn't thought of that, and I, I believe that. And if you're looking for a great double feature night, watch uh, Legend of Billie Jean and Thelma and Louise. So um, let's move on to our picks of the week. All right. That sounds good. I want to hear about Pump Up the Volume. I'll tell you about Pump Up the Volume. Yeah. All right, so Pump Up the Volume came out in 1990, though considered kind of like a cult hit, and though it wasn't, I think, hugely popular when it came out, it still had a pretty good size fan base and was one of the first, uh, I think, followed by Heather's, one of the first big hits for Christian Slater, like, of, I think, people, like, being attracted to his persona, you know, and like his, like what he brought as an actor, like his, his thing that he does kind of like how Nicholas Cage is his thing. I think Christian Slater, though, I think it's kind of like his take on Jack Nicholson, um, which it, he's agree, you know, or which he's admitted to in interviews, like that's his idol, um, kind of channels him in both, I think pump up the volume and Heather's, but pump up the volume, uh, is very much like uh, Legend of Billie Jean. It's a rebellious teen who he moves to Colorado. He's from the East Coast, moves to Colorado, and starts a pirate radio station. And he's a very shy teenager, but he has this alter ego when he's on uh, his radio station, which is uh, a Happy Harry Hardon. And he plays, you know, interesting music that people in the suburban Colorado town that he moved to doesn't know. So, And his persona is very a lot of bravado, you know, very confident, pretty much the complete opposite of him in high school. And a lot of the themes deal with like bored teenagers, rebellion, and all the pressures that are put on you, societal pressures that are put on you to like be your precursor to be an adult. That's your moment. Like I think your high school moment is like that time where you get pressure from your parents, you get pressure from teachers, you get pressure from the school of like, Here's who you need to be to make it in society. And there's already, you're already hitting all these like brick walls of like just trying to make it amongst your peers, you know, just trying to fit in. And there's a lot that the movie's trying to say. There also is a, a love interest between Samantha Mathis in one of her uh, early roles, starring roles. And she is a, is attracted to his character, um, but she is also has an alter ego where she's, you know, lets her emotions, she's a really good writer. And so she's writing him letters. And so they join up and eventually the school and the entire town is wanting to find out who he is. They get the FBI involved because, uh, there was a teen who committed suicide, who called onto the show saying that he was going to kill himself. And though Christian Slater, it's not his fault that this teen committed suicide after talking to him. Christian Slater's character is really upset because he never told him don't do it. You know, he wanted to talk to him about his problems and it is a movie that I think for 1990 dealt with a lot of issues. It dealt with a lot of teen angst. It dealt with homosexuality. One of the kids calls in and says that his, you know, he really liked this guy and he admitted to the guy that he liked him. And then 
the guy told him to meet him at this bridge. And then this guy and his friends like took his clothes and like threw him in the river and like laughed at him. And he's, you know, and he admits to Christian Slater, like, I guess you think I'm like a total pansy now. And, and Christian Slater's like, no, I don't. And like, it's, I think it's a good drive that, you know, you see that Christian Slater's character, even though he is this like, in a lot of ways, like kind of like the chauvinistic kind of like very hypersexual like persona in a lot of ways, I think kind of like Howard Stern, he also is sort of such an oddball that like he can get down to the heart of things and he doesn't judge people, you know, like he doesn't judge people that are considered the outsiders. And so I think that it's something, it's definitely a movie that I think broke some ground for like 1990. Wasn't your typical teen goofball movie like it it took teens serious I think in a lot of ways it was the first 90s teen movie like I think my so-called life kind of a lot of ways captures a lot of what being a teen in the early 90s was but to me pump up the volume was like the first sort of etch of like what that is and it's wild because you look at a lot of movies that are on that cusp that are like 1990 came out 1990 and same same way the movies that came out 1980 like a 1980 movies feels like you're still getting a little bit of leftovers from the 70s it quite didn't make that merge and there's some movies that come out 1990 and they still have a little bit of 80s pump up the volume even though it came out 1990 it just feels like they were like we're not doing any 80s stuff like this is a new era we're like totally starting fresh and it felt totally original and to me it also is like a really good example of a very low budget film that takes place in like only a few locations that uh, really has a very start smart script and very intense characters engaging characters and like that becomes the focus and it shows that you can do a lot and say a lot with very little money and still have an engaging I think like enthralling, like action packed movie. You made me really want to revisit this movie. It's It's been a very long time since I've seen it. And uh, as you're talking about it, I'm remembering like little nuggets, but yeah, you're going to have to let me borrow this. I've got again. the uh, VHS right over there. You can take it with you. And movies fairly readily. Uh, it, it is. It's you not can like get the DVD. Netflix or it's not on Netflix, but you can get the DVD for like super cheap on eBay. Like I mean, I got yeah. the uh, I found the VHS at a Goodwill for like twenty five cents, and I've seen sure. it at multiple Goodwills. Um, and a fun, fun fact, which I'm sure you probably know this, but what? for our listeners, if you don't know, the original role because we've talked about River Phoenix a lot on this uh-huh. on this podcast. The original role for Interview with the Vampire was supposed to go to River Phoenix, who Christian Slater was really good friends with. And since he got the role, he felt bad about taking the money. So he donated his entire salary from Interview with the Vampire to River Phoenix's favorite charities. Whoa, I didn't know I that. Which I thought was pretty noble. I mean, that's granted, really the guy cool. was already rich at that point, but no, that's really it's a no- cool, noble though. thing to do. Huh. Real ethical, nice thing to do. That's really cool. Well, I love but, that fun fact. All right, so you did a movie that... I have seen recently, it's one of your few picks of the weeks that I've like. <laughs> Why'd you watch that movie recently? Uh, it's a random one. It is kind of random, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Like I, it was one that I, I've always like enjoyed this movie. And I think it's one that I had watched specifically for the reasoning of, does this movie hold up? Cause I remember liking mm. it a lot when I was a kid and it was another movie that like played all the time on like Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Yes, I 
But I, I'll stop talking about you talk about you talk about this movie. Oh, just one of the guys. How much I love you. The plot of this movie is high school senior and total babe, androgynously named Terry, is gunning for a high-flying career as a journalist, and she's not interested in people thinking that women are any less than men. So when she's passed over for a giant real-world writing opportunity and loses to two male writers who she feels are inferior, what does she decide to do? Well, naturally, she cuts off her hair, um, almost as short as Billie Jean's, and enrolls in a totally different high school as a man, also named Terry, in a plan to resubmit the article as if a man wrote it. Okay, maybe this movie was problematic when it was released in 85. I, I don't know. I haven't found anything on that. I'm sure this movie is much more problematic by today's standards or just... Maybe there are just more sensitivities to to um, some things in this movie now. But I think the overall message of the film is about gender equality. But like a lot of films in the 80s, sometimes the well-meaning message like gender equality gets thrown aside for a more conventional story about a romantic relationship. And while Just One of the Guys does reinforce a lot of gender stereotypes, which is totally done for comedic effect. I feel like the the message in the end is more about Terry finding a deeper version of herself and also how she wants to be treated as a girlfriend, i.e. she dumps her terrible college frat guy boyfriend for the sweet, honest guy she befriends as the male version of Terry. So no amount of eye rolling that you could ever muster up while watching this movie will ever come close to the number of times that Terry rolls her eyes at a sexist or chauvinistic comment or situation. It's funny, though, that most of the women in this film aren't your stereotypical 80s high school ladies who live for their boyfriend or get bullied around. Actually, most of them talk back versus taking the abuse, which isn't a nice change for the time period. I feel like sexist comments are sprinkled all throughout the movie, but it's done for two reasons, maybe even more than that, but two reasons. One, this is just kind of how people spoke then. And two, this movie really does try to drive home the message of gender equality, especially by showing that the only people um, who were saying these comments are the chauvinistic oversexed males that are looking at women as sex objects or, you know, quote, putting them in their place. Now, when I saw this movie as a youngster in middle school, high school, even as an adult, all these different times in my life, it's always affected me. Maybe not like on a super deep level, but it's affected me. I was never confused about my gender. I'm still not. But just one of the guys did reinforce that I felt like I was a tomboy and I was attracted to women. While I identified with Terry on the superficial aspects of her male alter ego, just being like dress or whatever, just nothing that deep. Because kind of Terry as a dude, like I'm not really into Terry as a dude or her performance as a dude, but some aspects I I got. But the big Yentl-esque reveal scene at the end of the movie really has always reinforced my gayness within, especially when I was at a younger age. And I definitely don't think I'm alone um, in this. Any any young queerish girl that saw this felt weird right around that time. It, and any young dude, any anyone that was attracted to women 
felt weird at that yentl type boob flashing scene at I the just, end of I the just movie. Love that you used a yentl esque. <laughs> I mean, it basically. I died. Yentl came I out like two years before, and there's a lot of there's not a lot of, but there are a few parallels between yeah. just one of the guys and Yentl. There's a, a part of me that's kind of not okay with the whole boob flashing moment at the end of the movie as if a woman like has to, you know, show her breasts, um, you know, to prove that she's actually a woman. But it is what it is. It's 1985 and it's really not that deep of a high school comedy. It's really just done for comedic purposes and shock value. And probably someone was like, we need boobs in this movie. Okay. I think she made a much more convincing guy than most movies where they've She's tried to make a convincing so girl. convincing yeah. as a dude. And even like the like later movies that have happened, she's I would say hands down like the most convincing dude. Now, okay, so kind of going into this gender swapping genre, this movie as we said is not by itself. You know, I've talked about Tootsie before. There's Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde, Switch, Ladybugs, Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> White Chicks. Dude, Mrs. Doubtfire, don't even get me started, but I don't, still. I don't want to get started on Mrs. Doubtfire. That <laughs> but dreadful. gender swapping. I know. Yeah. White Chicks, which is whatever. I still laugh just because. White Chicks is a movie <laughs> that has to be seen to believed. I mean, it is. It's. <laughs> I watched it at like 1 a.m. on Netflix Boy, once. Chicks is like a it's, freaking it's, horror movie to me because it freaks me it's, out. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. White Chicks. Oh, sorry. I can't think too if much If you about haven't it. seen it, I, I just like you should just, when this is over, track it down and just do yourself a favor. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Could not bring up white it's chicks. incredible. Sorry. I'm glad you brought it up because I forgot that that existed. And now, like, I'm, <sighs> sorry, no, 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 you, no. You, you derailed me with white chicks. No, no, no. I just like it's it is part of this like gender swapping genre. Like, there's even I think <laughs> that movie's so insane. I know it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> so okay. many levels. I'm white trying chicks to dive back. It's just we got to find a way to talk about white chicks. Good like, good lord, on I a think deep we level. just found a way. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, man. You know, I feel like a lot of, not to divert from white chicks, I don't think that it gets a proper shout out for a gender swapping movie because it is. But I think the one that a lot of, a lot of people, especially people under the age, like 30 and under people always go to that soccer movie, which she's the man, which is Ladybugs, which I already mentioned before, soccer, gender swapping but um, people always go to She's the Man. Um, there's also Some Like It Hot. This movie from the 80s called Something Special, which isn't really gender swapping. She just kind of like grows a penis overnight. And of course, the uh, Bosom Buddies show. Bosom Buddies. And if you remember from 93, Just One of the Girls starring Corey Haim and Whoa. Nicole Eggert. They did like a bunch of movies yeah, together. I haven't seen that one. It's not great, yeah. but... R.A.P. Corey Haim. Um, I'm going to take your word on that. <laughs> but uh, what I'm getting at, the list goes on for gender swapping movies. And this is this is just gender swapping. There, there are countless body swapping movies. I, I can't even I can't even begin to start with the gender swapping or the body swapping comedies out there. But the reason that just one of the guys and this genre works so well is because it's 
really easy comedy. I think any any comedy that has to do with gender stereotypes is always going to like poke at people and it's something that's familiar and easy and regardless if you believe in you know a a binary two gendered system or you don't the the humor exists in that. I feel like you could be offended while watching it, but it's also like it's not something that's going for major social commentary or anything like that. If if there is any social commentary in this, it's trying to extrapolate some positivity out of it and showing that all people are equal, you know? Um, I'm a big fan of that if you can sneak it in somewhere. So just one of the guys really just has to be looked at as a comedy. It's not, you know, anything groundbreaking, but it is... It is super fun to deconstruct, especially with a contemporary eye. I'm really happy they picked just I'm one of happy. the guys. I because I, I think it's a movie just like Billy Jean it has is is undermentioned, and it's a movie that I hope that if either one of these movies is introduced, and same same with Pump Up the Volume, I don't yeah. know that it's a wildly known movie. If one person who li- is listening to this is introduced to one of these three films from this episode. I will be a happy person. So thank you for giving a little attention to just one of the guys. And pump up the volume. I can't wait to revisit that. I really am going to borrow that VHS from you. You're more than welcome to it. So those are your picks of the week. Uh, Pump up the volume and uh, just one of the guys. And uh, and we're going kind of long here again. So we'll move on. This is your Murray moment. Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even show. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes embrace all striking. In 1985, after Billy did the insanely well-known couldn't-escape-it-Ghostbusters, his dramatic turn in The Razor's Edge and the never-released-to-the-public-nothing-lasts-forever, Billy decided to take a break from acting. The latter two films of the three didn't dramatically alter his career, but the popularity of Ghostbusters did make Billy realize something. He figured that Ghostbusters may very well be the biggest film he'd ever make, and with that level of fame he'd just been catapulted to, Billy felt that staying in the United States could be destructive to himself and possibly even his career. So now, what's he going to decide to do? Well, he figured that if he and his family just disappeared to another country for a little while, specifically France, he'd be able to hold on to what was true about himself and what he cared about most. Now, there isn't a ton of information out there about the ins and outs of Billy's life while living in Paris, I don't know. Part of me is kind of okay with that. It, I'm glad that there's, it's hard to dig up information on this part of his life. Why should there? Why should it be so easy? First, it was 1984, and the dude deserves a private life. 
But what we do know is that he attended Sorbonne University, uh, where he studied French and philosophy. It seemed like Billy really internalized uh, many of the philosophical teachings that he learned there, and in a sense became a little more awakened than he once was. I think that there are enough examples out there of Billy's realness, especially after emerging from the liquor and smoke-laden 70s and early 80s, and definitely later in his career. It's been said that after leaving France, if Billy came across someone who was an elitist, maybe a little too self-involved or even nefarious or dishonest in some way, he would make it a point to address it straight on with that person. He got really good at calling people out when he thought someone didn't have their heart or their head in the right spot. And there are kind of multiple instances where people that knew him Um, or just were around him frequently, they can attest to that. I found one story out there in the internet abyss of a classmate of his at Sorbonne. She didn't recall much other than Billy kept mostly to himself and was quiet, polite, and humble, never really letting on that he was a big-name actor in the U.S. I think he said that he had done a movie, but didn't really let let on who he was. Now, that's not to say that he wasn't interested in interacting with people or was standoffish. Billy was known to walk around with these little chocolates in his pocket, which he thought were great conversation starters. Maybe this was just a practice as French, maybe just fodder for better understanding humans. Who knows? Aside from furthering his education while in Paris, Billy took in a lot of films. Anything from silent films to documentaries, sometimes they weren't even in French, and he'd really have no idea what was being said, but he'd be so affected by the visuals or performances, even without understanding the actual words. That's a pretty cool experience, I could imagine. Maybe another uh, pretty big life change um, that happened during this time in Paris was the birth of his son, Luc Francois, by way of his partner, his first wife of 15 years, Margaret Kelly. Now, I legit love learning about Billy's life, and it, it makes me kind of smirk a little that there, that this period, um, there just isn't much out there, whether it's by way of biographies on him or interviews or what have you. For this reason, a lot of people refer to this period of his life as the lost years, but it seems to me like Billy wasn't lost. He was just trying to stay grounded and maybe even reach a deeper level of his life of his life. He realized he had a lot of money all of a sudden, a family, and he didn't want to chance any of that being corrupted by fame. Or at least that's my assessment. I mean, I don't really know. You're going to have to wait until the day that Billy and I interview each other to find out that for sure. But this time in Paris really seemed like kind of a special period for Billy. So good forward thinking, dude. That was a good one. I didn't didn't know that he spent time in Paris. He just kind of disappeared for a second. What was the year again for that period? It was 85. I I thought he was there for longer, but um, I was reading this book that said he was only there for six months. I thought he was there for a heck of a lot longer, but I could be. He also did um, Little Shop of Horrors in 86, so it would make sense that he wasn't there for as long as I initially thought. But And he would he have been an international star at that point? Cause with it, Ghostbusters? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe not like right in, because Ghostbusters was 84, probably by 85, Ghostbusters had made it to other places. So, so he probably wasn't totally escaping fame, but like, but it was definitely a lot less. Escaping the U.S., yeah. yeah. 
so I, I think he wasn't gone for, for all too long, but it was long enough to have a kid and go to school. And I mean, not for like a, a full four year term. I thought he was there for a little bit longer, but this book I was reading said six months ish. So it's a good deal of time though when you're yeah a busy actor. Like, yeah. Trying to stay relevant. When you peace out basically, I mean, think about like, there are so many big movies that the the um marketing or just shopping the movie around take up so much time it's not just like a month or two it's like a whole year sometimes whether it's even if it's like an album for a band you're shopping that around for a good long time same thing sometimes for a movie yeah um I'm not sure what that climate was really like in 84 if it was necessarily the same like like what it is now but um, he decided to peace out for a little while. Sounds well, like it was a good idea. Yeah. Well, thanks for that Murray moment. Of course. Well, any final thoughts on Billie Jean before we wrap things up here for this episode? Man, well, we talked about... I feel like we covered most of our bases. We talked about Pat Benatar and the Billy Idol song. You know, I really wonder... I guess my final thought is... Okay, maybe it is just, you know this movie didn't do well at the box office but gosh darn it i don't know how this movie is missed so much i don't know why more people don't know about it and it's upsetting in some ways i mean it doesn't keep me awake at night but there are some friends that you know mutual friends that we have that are like yeah of course i know billy jean but it's so crazy to me when i meet someone that's like i you're speaking another language i've never heard of that movie or seen that actress or anything it is you know there's movies that i feel like we say are under mention that we've done <laughs> but this one definitely is i think the most yeah. if anything we've done so far on this podcast like probably the most under mentioned film that we've that we've talked about and so i hope uh this is one that you know hit us up if you haven't heard of this and you decided to give it a go uh hit us up on uh, social media yeah um, i even let have us a, know what you think i even have a tiny painting from vhs girl uh if you follow her on instagram she's pretty awesome super awesome yeah artist who uh um does vhs movie covers but i have one of her paintings of the legend of billy jean really that's awesome it's pretty cool yeah um, well, if you uh, want to contact us, you can reach us at uh, Don't Push Pause Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Don't Push Pause Podcast or go to our website, Don't Push Pause Podcast.com. So, next up, we've got uh, the 40th anniversary of Alien. And, you know, we've always talked about like we're not going to do these big movies, but this is probably the biggest movie we've done, and we can't help it. It's the yeah. 40th anniversary. We love Sigourney Weaver. It's one of the greatest movies ever yeah, made. So, so. so we're going to dip in yeah. to Alien, so that I'll be on uh, next episode. Wait, does do people on this podcast know that I'm a fan of Sigourney Weaver? I believe they do. We've, I think I've talked about yeah. about uh, about is it 19 movies of hers now? Probably. I think so. Yeah. Well, you'll hear even more about Sigourney Weaver <laughs> and Lindsay's undying love. Yep. So until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks for listening. <laughs>